When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another History Hack uh, episode where we have gone and scrounged up and begged actors to come and be our friends to make us more popular. Um, It tends to work. So we are really thrilled today. We're going to be talking about nightfall and crusades and Knights Templars. (laughs) Who does not need a bit of medieval slashing and fighting at this point um, in lockdown? We're missing it. Were you missing it? I just found out that Alina has just had her heart broken. She's found out there's going to be no series three. So we have with us Tom Cullen, who I'm going to depress you all and tell you that his beard looks as perfect now in lockdown as it does on the show, who of course plays Landry. Hi, Tom. Hi. We have Simon, who plays Tancred de Hauteville. He's in New Zealand and he won't put his camera on because uh, he (laughs) is lying down and doing this podcast because it's 7am. We also have Ed Stoppard, who I'm pleased to say looks nowhere near as slimy, as creepy as he does when he plays Philip the Fourth. Thank you. He also, for the benefit of his voiceover agent, has a spectacular mic sitting there waiting for gainful employment, don't you, Ed? Yes, I do. (laughs) <laughs> and we also have Julian Ovenden, who played William, is it De Nogare? De Nogare. De Nogare. Oh, God, I wish we called him that now. Really? <laughs> we do season three, just so we can spend the whole of it calling Julian De Nogare. Let's do it. Uh, apparently, uh, Alina has just been duped into believing that Julian is 57. Um, and... <laughs> so she's already the butt of everyone's jokes in this chat room and we have the amazing Eleanor Yanega with us to talk medieval history as well she's going to be the adult basically hey Eleanor oh god if I'm the adult we're in so much trouble already <laughs> my god have a word with yourselves we also have with us today Paul Woody our Bobfest coordinator he's, he's officially let me speak properly a member of Team History Hack now. Hey, Paul. Hey, Woody. Hello, hello. So deserve it, buddy. Hashtag uh, Team History Hack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Knights Templar, because um, who isn't excited by them? Uh, Indiana Jones, the Ark, the Grail, National Treasure, Kingdom of Heaven, amazing amount of video games as well. Guys, how excited were you when this job came up? Over the moon. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah simon we we were we were really it was it was exactly what you say it was uh, a kind of boy's own dream come true it was um massively exciting i'm just gonna uh, chuck out there as well did apart from ed the rest of you could be like boom no shaving can i just jump in on ed's behalf here right because at the beginning the first season actually i thought it was great i loved the character and i was just like 
I felt so sorry for him and Landry's kind of betraying him and you're like, oh my God. And then kind of, <laughs> then he gets worse. But at the beginning, you kind of, you just, you feel sorry for him. Like, don't betray him. Anyway. Oh, we'll get to all of that. We'll get to Landry being um, a bit naughty and Philip being cheated on later. But let's talk about the start of the whole thing. They used the siege of Acker, didn't they? Uh, Eleanor. Yes. The Siege of Acre, what is it and how important is it? So it is uh, kind of important, I would definitely say, uh, because the Siege of Acre is sort of like what kicks off like a new iteration of Crusades. So it's like, I mean, for those keep, keep, keeping track, you just have a few, uh, you have a couple of Crusades every couple of years, you know, because why not? You need, to, you need to spice it up again. Uh, Siege of Acre in particular kicks off in 1189. And it goes for over two years. Like it doesn't end um, mm. until 1191. So it's not nothing. And basically what's happened at this point in time is that um, a lot of the Christians had been knocked out of Jerusalem. And this is because um, Saladin, the great uh, Muslim ruler, had uh, come into power. So Legend. he, I mean, what, a, what an absolute bro. We love mm. Saladin. Um, so he's kind of like taking power in Egypt and he's consolidating power up along the coast, up into uh, Palestine and this sort of thing. And there are a number of rulers up there, other Muslim rulers who have been dying as well. So he sees this as an opportunity not just to kind of like maybe take out some Christians, but also to sort of consolidate his own power and prove himself as like the new force of like Sunni Muslim rule mm. uh, in the Middle East. So he's like, you know what? I'm going up there. going to see about some real estate. Might as well see about Accra while I'm at it. And there's a huge battle there at first, and it really knocks the Templars around because that's where their main hold is at this point in time. They've been forced out of Jerusalem. And they get absolutely massacred. And eventually, you need to, they, they have to start bringing in troops from outside of the Middle East. So uh, the Emperor Barbarossa's troops have to come in and uh, to reinforce them. And even though it goes on for two years, it's like Saladin can never really quite take Accra because it's got a seaport, so you can still kind of get more reinforcements in. But they can't really hit back in any real way. So it in and of itself is sort of indicative of what the problem with the Crusades was in general, which is that, um, stop me if you've heard this one before, but a bunch of white people coming from really far away when they don't have supply lines to kind of mess around <laughs> in other people's countries where people aren't really happy to see them. And man, we're still not... doing that in World War One in that area. Exactly. And it's it's just not sustainable long term. And it's certainly not sustainable when you've got to bring in troops and, you know, money and all these things. You know, uh, the Knights Templar famously are not so supposed to be having sex mm. um but you know they, they're not they're not a an actual force that can sustain themselves they can't repopulate themselves so they're always dependent on more people coming in or bringing more people from overseas you can never establish a population of people so when you lose a bunch of them it's a major setback and so this is really a turning point and what we say kind of like kicks off this new wave of uh, crusades and it is really devastating for uh, the templars in particular Medieval battle scenes, there's got to be no health and safety whatsoever filming those. Not in Eastern Europe, that's for sure. Is that where you filmed? Tom? Yeah, we, we shot uh, Acker in uh, Croatia and it was, it was our first three days and it was really hard, wasn't it, Simon? Because the, the costume was ridiculously heavy and I think it was about 40 degrees and we shot in Dubrovnik. Mm. And uh, 
it was a real trial by fire. I remember finishing the first day and just being like, well, fuck, I, I don't know how I'm going to do the rest of the job. I'm done. Story of Simon falling into the uh, yeah. falling into the sea. Um, no. Well, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, decided to take a dip in the sea in full armor. Do you go um, full crab and like you can't get up when you're in full armor? If you fall over, can you get up? Um, you not if you're on the seven you feet of water, you can't. No. <laughs> yeah, not, not not if not if you're in the sea. Uh, <laughs> usually, it's not a good idea to go swimming in it. But uh, it was it was all good. There were plenty of people to help me out, but uh, it was quite eventful. It was very cooling. Actually, it was a cooling experience because, as Tom said, it was yeah, it was forty degrees. Go on, Tom. This um, this big jetty in, in Dubrovnik, and they built this like um, couple of uh, ships. And Simon and Porig, who plays Gawain, were carrying the Grail in a box up this jetty. And then there was like a plank to get onto the boat. And Simon, climbing up the plank slipped and fell between the end of the jetty and the ship and sunk to the bottom of the water. <laughs> I wasn't watching and him disappearing yeah. and then about like 50 dudes jumping into the water and swimming as fast as they could. It's mad. Eleanor, what kind of stats yeah. have you got for medieval knights drowning themselves by accident in their armor? I mean, so this is this is like a, a thing that they warn about. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's like one of those things where you know you'll hear about like in shipwrecks and stuff like that. You do kind of hear about it, or like river crossings are considered treacherous and all this thing. But ordinarily, the other thing is that like people don't travel in their armor. It's like you kind of like take your armor and then wait till you get to the battlefield and then you put your armor on because stuff like that happens. <laughs> You know, like yeah. it's just you're out there in the real world. If you're like just trying to like clamber up some muddy riverbank, you don't want to fall back in and you know be exhausted. So yeah, like you would kind of wait and then put it on when you know something good is going to happen. You know, like you know what I really loved about those battle scenes because I think you probably did it for budgetary reasons, but it was really good. They filmed you chatting, but in the inside of your helmet. And we see, like, when you do film and stuff, you get these grand, sweeping, gladiator-style views of a whole field of battle, when actually that would have been, that tiny little slit would have been all you could see in a medieval battle. Um, and plus, I'm guessing that was shit in the heat. Yeah, like, this is uh, one of these major things that uh, definitely, like, Crusaders and uh, Templars and everybody were always complaining about, kind of, when they go over to the Holy Land, right? Is because it's a billion degrees over there comparatively <laughs> to, you know, like, so, yeah, it's a great idea to cover yourself in plate armor if you live in the middle of Germany, but then it's like when you're in Jerusalem and not so much somehow, like people just sweltering to death, all kinds of uh, death due to like heat stroke and things like that, super, super common. There must have been horrible film in it. <laughs> it was pretty rough, wasn't it, Simon? Um, yeah. They, I mean, they, 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 they started off quite, um, you know, um, laudably by saying, we're going to actually put these guys in, in more or less the real thing, uh, which, was, uh, which was great for us to uh, experience in a character sense. But um, it, got, it, it got heavy and wearing. I mean, the weight on your shoulders... You know, and especially if you're if you're fighting and swinging your arms around, you you'd find by the end of the day that you you really noticed it the next day. But um, you get stronger as you go along. Yeah, Ed, didn't you give yourselves injuries? Yes. 
shoulders and stuff, isn't that? You, you're yes. always asking me to massage you. That's my memory. <laughs> no, no, no. Injuries, Ed, injuries. Hey, <laughs> that wasn't anything to do with injuries. That was, that was, no. you know, you're just a good master. <laughs> Poor I, naive Ed. Three now. <laughs> Turns out that he was, um, basically exploited you, for the whole but you, you did get in you did sort of injure so tom didn't you break you broke your toe at least twice didn't you yeah on the second season i broke my toes on the first day back filming or second day back. i remember both my big toes i remember brutal yeah both your big happen? toes yeah it was a thing to behold tom <laughs> cullen's toes was a thing to behold it was um like a horror film yeah. what happened yeah. Well, they, they go black and swell up and then the nails fall off. I've got some nice videos. And Ellen is gagging. There's a reason I'm putting myself what, did, what was it? Was it just the weight of the costume and like for the force of your toes against it or did you actually hit something? In the beginning of the second season, there's like a big dream sequence battle scene. And um, it was actually, it was in summer. So the ground in this forest where we were shooting was really hard. And then they put on these, uh, a rain machine and um all the surface mud just turns like this thick slush mud about that about that deep and we were doing a, a scene that we had to charge forward and some dude in front of me or beside me slipped and i went over him and then i think a guy broke his leg my toes smashed into something i don't really know what happened but it was it was pretty crazy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that guy really broke know. his leg, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. A distinct lack of sympathy in the room from your fellow actors. <laughs> like none of them are moved by this. <laughs> you know, guys, I've got a question because you know you're talking about your armor. Um, what was it like to horse ride in all of that armor, Tom? The first time I tried to get on a horse, I couldn't do it. They had to get me a box. Oh no! <laughs> Tom, I always had a box. Go on, Ed. Armour or no armour? Really? Yeah. Do, no. Is it one of those things where on your spotlight oh, profile you. or whatever it says that you horse ride and then it's because you once sat on a pony at Blackpool Beach and then you get there and they actually expect you to horse ride? <laughs> I know, dude, it says that. I broke his hip. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I'm not going to lie, my spotlight profile, I lied quite a lot about how proficient I was at some of the things they asked about. <laughs> yep, Simon. They yeah. sniff that out very quickly. It, <laughs> uh, it becomes very apparent very quickly um, uh, because you get a, a certain amount of training from the fantastic uh, riding team there and the beautiful horses. That's, what I, that's one of the things I miss the most, really, those, those beautiful horses, those days in the woods or, you know, cantering across a field. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful beasts and so trained to have, um, you know, semi-experienced actors on their backs. Mm. <laughs> well, this is why we need Series the 3. Of you. Oh, God, yeah. So you lot can have a jolly. Julian, you played William de Nogare. Um, horrible, but good to get your teeth into. Uh, what was the best thing about playing him and what was the most fun oh, why aspect? Do, why do you think he was horrible? Oh, because he's supposed to be the baddie, isn't he? Oh, well, I suppose it depends on your I, I am going to mitigate that statement in a minute using Eleanor, but what was it like being not the hero? Uh, it was very... Well, I considered myself as the hero of the piece. <laughs> 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 no, it was fun. He's a great character. I mean, he's one of the characters that is... 
um, has does have historic. You know, he is he was a real, real person. He was quite an important person during that particular time. He was one of the architects of of modernizing France and France as we know it. So he made a dis he started making distinctions between the state and the church. Um, and he he's a master kind of manipulator, a Machiavellian kind of figure. So it was fun to get my teeth into, you know, kind of the, the tricks and the treachery and the double, you know, the, the backstabbing and the, it was fun, you know, uh, it was the kind of the, the house of cards side of the show. Mm. Um, I mean, I would have liked to have done more of the stuff that the, the, the boys did more of the, considering I was definitely the fittest, most able. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way they've reacted to that statement makes me doubt you're, that you're being genuine. But, he never uh, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had to do it. Evidently, I, I, loved it. I loved my character. I thought it was really fun to play. You've evidently done your reading, so you've been interested by the guy you played enough to go out and actually properly read up on him. Well, I mean, you know. Did you? you you've gone beyond Wikipedia, haven't you? A little bit. I mean, we had a, we had on the first season, we had a historian, a kind of, you know, historical advisor. What was his name, guys? I can't remember. Dan. Dan, Dan Jones. Dan Jones. So, you know, when you're starting a show like this, I think, and also because it was for the History Network, there's a certain amount of pressure to get some of it right. Mm. I mean, you know, obviously there's dramatic license and we have to make entertaining episodes that last, you know, 40 four minutes or whatever it is but I think we wanted to be you know fairly because a lot of this stuff is written down and it's you know it's 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 historical fact so um it was kind of fun talking to him and getting an idea of how how to sort of bring these characters to life. Eleanor I looked at this and in the show uh William's kind of motivation uh, he has had it tough to be fair to Julian um his family have been persecuted um, as Cathars. Uh, is that genuine? Is that real? Was that going on? Oh, well, like uh, the persecution of the Cathars? Mm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, I mean, they had a hell of a time, didn't they? The so his parents <laughs> were burnt alive in the story, that's right? That's, that's true. Yeah, that's a fact. Mm. So, I mean, he has a reason for being a git bag. Mm. Uh, I think he has a reason to distrust the, the Roman Catholic Church, no doubt, yeah. And he, mm. he, he, he thinks it's all mumbo-jumbo, thinks it's all crazy. He's interested in logic, a reason, power, um, all, those, all those other things. All the good shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, the thing is, uh, the persecution of the Cathars, uh, it's a really difficult thing. Like, uh, I, for example, don't really even like to use the term Cathar mm. because it was kind of made up by the Catholic Church. Um, people who practice what you and I would like recognize as the Cathar version of Christianity called themselves good men and women. Mm. Um, and so it's like the term Cathar is something that the church started calling them when they decided that they wanted to do a big crusade against them and this sort of a thing. So in order to say, okay, well, these are this group of people and they're doing things wrong. This is how we're going to delineate them. We're going to term them Cathar. Um, and part and parcel with that is like, there starts building up all these strange legends because Cathar's been around uh, by the time uh, that this is going on for quite some time. And there starts being like these weird legends about them. So they're going, the church is like, oh yeah, well, one of the things that they do is they worship the devil in the form of a giant cat 
who comes up from hell and then they all go and do a weird fake mass with the middle with the cat in the middle of it and then they all go up and they kiss the cat's asshole and like that's what they do instead of like taking communion and everyone is like oh man like that is that's right out right that it's like definitely very heretical and very very all the rest of it was fine, but the kissing of the asshole. Yeah, I was like, asshole. you had to be a cat, but then <laughs> the asshole the came line. into it. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, he was like, oh, I mean, if we were all going to hang out with a giant cat, I'm, I mean, I'm listening. But in reality, I'm in. In reality, what, what we would say, okay, well, this is a cathar, or a good man or woman, it means a lot of different things. Um, in general, it, technically, it means that it's someone who believes in what we call dualism. So they think that um, they're sort of like a good god and a bad god, and the good god created all the good stuff about the world. That's just, you know, right, your regular Baltic standard god. But because god is good, he can't have... Um, he can't have created all of the evil things in the world. So there's a separate evil god. So like the devil is sort of like on par with God um, and you don't want to be kind of like feeding into the bad evil things of the world you need to be I mean ideally there are a lot of like overlaps with uh, Christianity but like turn it up so they're sort of like you shouldn't be having sex at all if you can get away with it you shouldn't be doing you know like you want to kind of like cleave yourself away from the world and the church and so you want to do things more on a local level um, in practice there's some people who are really into it and they believe all that um, but then there's also a bunch of people who are basically like using this as an excuse to just like shag each other. Um, so like we've got this really famous court case. There's this woman Beatrice who gets brought before uh, the the church to say they're like, oh, I hear you're a Cathar, and she's like, oh yeah, I'm a big heretic. Like she keeps calling herself a heretic, and they're like, oh, okay, so what does that mean? And she's like, well, I don't know. This one heretic priest came up to me one day, and he was like, we should really have sex, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, aren't we supposed to not have sex because you know, isn't that bad? And he's like, well, you see, the thing is, technically, all sex is evil, which is something that we do kind of see from Cathar beliefs. So if you're going to sin by having sex, you should really just do it with whoever because it's even more sinful to go around having sex with like your husband because you think you're not sinning but you actually are sinning so if you're gonna sin you might as well sin all the way and she's like wow what a compelling argument you've made and like she proceeds <laughs> to like shag like two or three different priests in the cathars faith who were kind of like hiding under her bed in order to get to her at night and like all this wild stuff. <laughs> Julian's so just like, like my mum and dad were burnt alive in front of me and I'm looking at them in a whole different light now that deified vision that you had as William of your parents who were sacrificed you're now thinking wow it's like (laughs) it could be it could be two things it can be you know you're the sincere religious type and like you got you got problems with the church and you just kind of like think about the world as being conceptualized a different way or it can just be like I don't know I thought I might shag uh so I thought I'd stop being Catholic, you know? And so it's, there's kind of like multiple flavors of Cathar that we could be talking about here. Um, but yeah, basically the, the, the whole reason that the conception of an inquisition um, came into being was to get the Cathars. So definitely they were persecuted. Definitely William's parents uh, were killed as a result of it. So that is um, not just unreal. And just because Julian looks like his mind is blowed right now, let's say that they were the nice Cathars. Yeah, they were the nice Cathars. They were were um, good. And they weren't basically swingers. They they were nice Cathars. um, Swingers are nice people too. (laughs) (laughs) Swingers need love too. Tom? 
though your character's fictional unlike William um so I guess so they could roll up all the best stuff into your character and make him a complete boss so could you do any reading did you just generally look at some stuff on the Knights Templar yeah well I think um I think you have to you know do as much research and reading as possible otherwise uh, <coughs> otherwise you're a bit of an asshole really um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit lazy, but um, the the Templars they were they were clandestine uh, a clandestine sect, and that's S E C T for Ed's benefit. For Ed, <laughs> Ed's death, by the way, if you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm favour. Yeah, I am. I'm favouring my good side. Go on. Um, but so there's very little known about the Templars, really. Um, uh, I, I, like the, the the guys who actually um, were doing the day to day. There's a few famous Templars. Like Simon's character is based on a Templar called Tancred de Hortville. Isn't that right, Simon? Who actually in the in the Crusade he was he was quite famous. I can't remember what he did. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think he was slightly pre the Order, but he was uh, he was an early Crusader. But there was a there was an account of him um, treating uh, Saracen prisoners very well, like putting them under the protection of his flag in, uh, in, in a siege, in a battle to protect them. So that was kind of a nice kind of anecdote to hold on to for thinking about the character later on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sure. Go on, Woody. But, um... He also has his own museum. There's a museum for Tam Creed 40 miles away from where I live. Really? Really? I, I'm in Normandy and 40 miles well, 40 oh, miles yes. south of me is the museum Pancreed de Oudville. Do it. Oh, Do Simon's it. been yeah. there loads what? of times, don't worry. Road <laughs> <laughs> yeah. trip to Woody's. Normandy a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, Road it's trip to Woody's. If you know Coutance, it's not far from there. And uh, Oudville is, is, there's a museum, Pancreed de Oudville, in a, in a, in a manor house just outside Coutance. When they let me back in France, when they when they let me back in France, I will I will make a trip there for sure. Road trip to Woody's. All we've got to do is turn up with a shitload of double deckers and minstrels, and he will let us yeah. in. Basically, no cat, no cat kissing though. No, no. cat kissing. Actually, can I bring, cats can next I bring to the me. vodka? Yeah, You're, my cat's <laughs> next to me, and I'm now looking at it quite disturbed. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just at the beginning. Tom, your character, Landry, is really pissed off about the plight of the Templars and the fact that they've been kicked out of Acre and they don't... Pit. What are they doing? What are they for? I mean, they were there to protect the Holy Land and protect pilgrims, but what do they stand for now? I mean, is that a genuine beef after that happened? I mean, what are they doing? I mean, that is kind of like one of the big parts of their downfall and why it was really easy uh, for Philip to sort of take advantage of this is that without the mission to the Holy Land, without an actual foothold there, they don't really serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. Their entire mission statement is that they're there securing the Holy Land and making the Holy Land a place that Christians can get to and from. Um, that's why they get as many donations as they get is because people love that idea. People want to make sure that they have an escort to the Holy Land and back. Um, and so if you take that out, they aren't really anything other than a fairly powerful business interest. No Holy Land, no purpose for you. And it can really flag up these issues with it. All right, well, what are you doing now? And they didn't seem to have an answer for that. 
Yeah. They, they weren't able to sufficiently put forward a case for themselves as um, a necessary group once they lost their, you know, reason, like, raison d'être, you know, like, they... Which perhaps tell you why the scriptwriters decide to chuck the grail into the mix for the first season to get mm-hmm. the story and the plot to the point where they have the destruction of the Knights Templar. Yeah, exactly. There's got to be something that's kind of like hinging on it because uh, if we're already picking up by the time they get um, kicked out of Jerusalem, and even then that was like a big, people were saying, oh, wow, you don't even control Jerusalem anymore? What's going on over there? You know, and so that was kind of like the big... Eleanor, Mm. Tom's character's a naughty boy in that he goes and impregnates Queen Joan Mm. in the program. Mm. What kind of evidence is there for sort of corruption amongst... um, Knights Templar and them not taking their vows seriously and stuff. Well, Knights Templar were clergy members, technically, and mm. uh, yeah, none of them really. <laughs> <laughs> about the shop, just like, what? you know, I'm just gesturing broadly. I mean, for the most part, you know, you have to understand the clergy are a huge number of people. And of course, there are some people who take it very seriously, and there are some people who really, really don't. Um, you know, up until really um, the 11th century or so, the clergy could get married. Like, it was sort of like, oh, you probably shouldn't. But then they kind of frowned upon that um, when the church gets more powerful, because in the early medieval period, like the church and the Pope don't have a whole lot of power. They spend a whole lot of time like making it so that they can be powerful later in the medieval period and it works out. Um, but you know, for a while you could like have sex and get married and that sort of thing. And then they're like, oh, you've got to stop doing that. Turns out people don't like that. Uh, people like having sex. And um, so we've got like absolutely scads of evidence that everyone that was still banging, um, you know, like, to the point of having like concubines or having sex with other members of the clergy, you know, like monks and nuns were shagging each other. Um, And so it's like, yeah, it's absolutely a matter of record that there were always some people breaking the rules. So, I mean, shagging queens, who knows, you know, but- Yeah, Ed does not look impressed right now because of course Queen Joan was his wife. Um, Didn't end so well. (laughs) But- um, (laughs) Ed, with your character, again, great scope for being a baddie. That kind of snivelly baddie, slimy baddie has got to be an actor's dream, snivelly. right? Yeah, definitely a little bit snivelly. Well, no, he was. At the beginning, he wasn't. At the be- I loved him. Wait, hang beginning. on. That implies I was snivelly at the end. No, you but you were, you, know, you were supposed to be, I think. Yeah. As part of the character. It was good. You were a man. You were yeah. heartbroken. You were, you know, any man who sees his wife have an affair. You were... In, in the, filled with passion. At the risk of not wanting to piss... At the risk of not wanting to piss off every French person in the world. You were exactly as snivelly as I would expect. I mean, to be honest, I think what I, rem- I remember sort of saying that I wish I'd had a bit more agency in the first series. I just sort of seem to remember spending a lot of time trying to kind of elicit sympathy from people who I thought were my kind of closest friends and family, but who always turned out to be either having sex with each other or betraying me. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying that Philip you, is hard done by. And so no I mean, I just remember living a lot of scenes. I mean, I mean, up until like, the final episode pretty much most of my scenes with tom i seem to remember were me saying 
oh god i don't i don't know what to do about joan and tom hanks kind of go yeah tricky one that yeah <laughs> well she was <laughs> running around pregnant by him she was running around pregnant by him he was pretty good on the kind of admin and the logistics uh wasn't he julian didn't we yes. like move we didn't we move forward like french bureaucracy yeah yeah, I think um, it was mostly me who did that, though. I mean, you just signed. I, yeah, I guess. Probably was <laughs> you me. just signed things and looked pretty. Maybe. I was, but, the, uh, uh, I was the Dominic Cummings to you or Boris Johnson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. How good an analogy is that? I mean, it's, it's actually, um, yeah. Are you, it's, are it's you speaking pretty... to us from Northumbria, Julian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my eyesight's going you got such good Wi-Fi connection in North? Yeah, but North I can't Northumbria. see anything. I'm just going to go for a drive. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that castle in the background. Dominic Cummings' wife is, is a friend of mine from university. Oh, really? Yeah. Have yeah, a word, mate. mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think her phone is probably going off the hook as yeah. it is. Eleanor, what do you make of Philip the Fourth? What was he really like? How? To what extent did Ed nail him? I mean, well, he was hot. We all know that. So <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, but I, I think that the major thing that we tend to get out of contemporary chronicles is that he's quite, um, they call him an iron, a person with an iron will. They'll say that he's often more like a, like a statue than like a man. Uh, so just someone who has a real kind of direction of purpose and real kind of idea about what he's going to do. Um, he was an extremely skillful political uh, thinker. And that actually sh shows in the people that he surrounds himself with because, you know, your average medieval king is just surrounded by the nobility. That's, you know, you, your day in, day out, that's what you expect. But he's surrounded by people like, you know, William Nogent and stuff who are like actually just really clever people. So he was smart enough to pick smart people. And that's how you kind of know that someone is like really quite understands what they're doing is they pick other intelligent people. They don't just necessarily pick the people who have the highest pedigree. Uh, they pick up people who can advance their causes. So I think that what we tend to say about him is that he is a really driven and purposeful individual um, who is also a little bit shady, um, mm. but was definitely also hot. So he's a real mixed bag of a dude. Yeah, a great character to play. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the most fun about filming? Was it the sword fighting or was that just the heat made that not fun? Simon? Well, it got cold as well. <laughs> it went down to 10, uh, 10 below. Oh, wow. Rock hard fields, didn't it? Yeah, because we filmed right through the seasons and uh, yeah. you've got them all in their extremity. Uh, it was great fun. I, I loved that aspect of it. It took a lot of work and, you know, there were some knocks along the way, but uh, I think we all loved that aspect of it. Mm. Ed, was it a very different experience for you filming because of your character? Um, yeah, on the first series, it was particularly. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think I didn't have a single scene in the first series with Simon or Porrig. I mean, I think they were standing at the back of a kind of a Tom's birthday celebration dinner or something. That's right. Um, and I didn't put on any armor until the last show, episode, last, I think. last episode of the first season and stuff. <clears throat> I did those kind of sparring fights with Tom, which were always a good, good fun. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was, and I think this is not uncommon on, on TV shows, is that it kind of gets broken up into storylines and therefore kind of shooting schedules and areas. And we didn't kind of, we, we didn't cross over on set very much, apart from Tom, who was jumping between the two worlds. Um, so yeah, it was kind of me and Julian doing our thing. And then the boys, as they were referred to, doing their kind of heroic stuff. Plus in season one, Ed, the way you were dressed and coiffured with your hair, you looked like a particularly hot young woman. <laughs> <laughs> it was very confusing for the sex-starved Templars sometimes, I can tell you. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, yes, I did wear a dress, which presumably you, Eleanor, would agree with as historically accurate, that I would have been swanning around in essentially a long dress. Well, I mean, like, robe, we, we, we prefer the term robes, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, I mean, your look was very accurately based on some paintings of... Well, um, and truth be told, actually, it could have been more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was it? Was, it, was the, was the um, makeup designer, was his name Daniel? On the season one? On the first season, yeah. The wig he wanted to put me in initially <laughs> made me look like Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. <laughs> and, and History Channel... A flapper. Yeah, I just <laughs> flapper looked like a flapper. Um, I think Dom, <laughs> Minghella, and also History Channel just went, no. You, what? <laughs> and Daniel got quite annoyed and he said, but this is what it would have looked like. It's historically I accurate. want him to look like a girl. It's the History Channel. <laughs> You're like, I'm invoking artistic license. We absolutely don't care. And I'm normally all for, you know, verisimilitude and whatnot. But on this occasion, I said, Daniel, there is no way on God's earth you're putting me in that wig. And yeah, thankfully he, he acquiesced. And so I, so I got away with my shoulder length, that number. Tell me there's photographic evidence of you in that wig somewhere. Test shots. There is. There genuinely, there certainly was. Um, No, seriously. There was was at one point, yeah. We have to ask you guys if you did a Sean Bean. So this started off with the Sharp thing that we did and then went into Hornblower and Band of Brothers. Basically, on the set of Sharp, Sean Bean took anything that wasn't nailed down home with him. Um, to the extent I think his basement is basically full of uh, 18th, 19th century militaria. Uh, Did you keep a dress? Did you nick anything off the set? You must have wanted to keep your swords. Yeah, Tom. I tried to get my sword back to the UK, but it kept on getting stuck at customs. No, what happened to it? Yeah. I don't know where it is now. Oh, that's sad. Some Croatians probably got it. Yes, check out my nice sword. (laughs) <laughs> the props the props guys gave me my dagger oh really yeah so i got my dagger downstairs nice. so cool. yeah, like tom said there was a plan to send our swords uh in a crate incognito after the end of production but it they they got lost in translation yeah. somewhere it didn't it just didn't happen i've got a helmet, though. that's pretty you've got a helmet as well have you simon i've got two helmets my brother's got one of them why have yeah. you got two I don't know. Two seasons, Ed. You, two seasons. Have you got Porrig's helmet? I've not got Porrig's helmet. I've got mine. My <laughs> helmet. <laughs> if I have a party at my house, we'll put the helmets on and fight. Be cool. Um, I can't believe they're not going to make another series. Tom, I've got to ask you, the sheer irony when you walk into work and find out that Mark Hamill is your Yoda. 
Yeah. How excited were you guys? Were you like, is Luke fucking Skywalker? Or does he hate talking about it so much that you weren't allowed to mention it? Well, no, I mean, <clears throat> I was really scared to mention it. and just be like, okay, whatever you do, do not talk about Star Wars. And then you find yourself standing around and moving your sword around, kind of going... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then eventually he started talking about it. Actually, Mark's is very happy to talk about it. He'll like, there was a, there was a load of uh, quite young actors in the second season as well, who, um, who he really took a shine to and they'd kind of like crowd around him and he'd tell various stories about it. And it was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. My, my brother was on the second season and mm. we'd kind of grown up watching Star Wars, you know, and so for us, it was amazing. I was, I think he had a Star Wars party when he was like eight and I went as Luke Skywalker. Did everybody go as Luke Skywalker though? I think I went as uh, Princess Leia. (laughs) (laughs) Were you wearing the wig that Daniel made you? No, my mother just coloured in some Danish pastries with a felt tip pen, I seem to remember, and sellotaped them to the side of my head. (laughs) He's actually serious. Um, guys, the sets, so you went on location for Acre and used Croatia, but the French stuff, was that all the built sets? We had amazing, amazing sets. We were shooting in Prague, an amazing, amazing studio. And we had an incredible, they built the whole of medieval Paris on the, uh, the back, the sort of backside of the studio. Just in case um, the sound may have dropped out there, just to clarify, Ju- Julian said we had amazing sets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> on the side of the lot of the studio, <laughs> just in case it sounded like he said we had amazing sex on the backside. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm suddenly, like, a 50% less interested. Way to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I may or may not edit the clarification out, um, depending on how oh, I feel yeah, at the time. Right. Yeah, go on, Tom. Yeah, they built medieval Paris out on, it's like the biggest back lot lot in Europe. It was huge. I mean, it had, it was absolutely enormous. Fairness, we built it twice. Yeah, we built it twice. And then the second time it was even better. But they, they, I think it took like 500 men, 20, like 13, 14 hours a day. Yeah, Eleanor just looks so excited that you got to walk the streets of medieval. Oh, areas. the craft! It was, it was oh. and, then, and then it burned down for two hours. It was awful. Yeah, what? And so it, there was this an accident then, and it all burnt down? Yeah, we mm. I, we were shooting out on location, and it was awful because we then had to scramble and rewrite the whole of the first season as we were going along because we couldn't film on the sets anymore. Mm. But we did postpone some stuff until they rebuilt half of them during the first season. So there was some stuff that we did at the end of the season. So at one point I was working like, I'd be doing some, like a full day in the morning and then go and do a night shoot in the night. I'm just like surviving on four hours night sleep a night. It's crazy. Wow. But it was, uh, you, Simon, you mentioned the craftsmanship. Oh, it was extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, you'd, uh, you go right up close and personal to, I mean, usually on sets, there's a, there's a level of artistry, but you can see that it's, you know, when you're there in reality, you, you see the work that's gone in and you realize that it's not real. But on this set, you'd be walking through medieval streets with lots of extras dressed as peasants going about their business. And uh, you'd walk right into 
you know, right up close to, you know, stonework on, on the temple face here. And it was, it, it was so convincing even to, you know, to, to be inches away from it. And that level of artistry went through this whole center of Paris. And you'd get lost in the streets sometimes. You'd get lost in the streets of they medieval Paris. They, they, they had loads of shops and they did the interiors yeah. of the shops. So like if there was a candle maker, they'd fill it with medieval candles. Or the pub was filled with... And there, there, was a, there was like a lot to <laughs> dying. Ellen's face is like, oh, what, oh, what? Because <laughs> um, this, was, this was in the first couple of weeks that we had so many extras that they gave each extra a job so that and a character so this person would look after this shop and so there was a kind of continuity to the um to the to the background and then it all went oh just a really geeky uh, medieval history side note which is all i do obviously but um i also like there's this kind of symmetry here because um in the 14th century at least i mean we're talking about the 13th century here uh but in the 14th century the two largest cities north of the alps in europe are paris and prague so paris is the biggest city and then it's prague after that and so i like the idea of a medieval paris being built in prague just because of that mm. little like medievalness of it mm. What about mm. the palace scenes? Where did you shoot? <laughs> or was it a fake <laughs> palace or a real palace? Uh, it, was a, it was a fake palace. Yeah. We had also, um, on the sound stages, we built the interiors. And in the first season, the, my, my reception hall or whatever, what would it be called, Eleanor? You know, my... Yeah, like a reception hall or a throne hall. Yeah. Throne hall. yeah. Absolutely <laughs> fucking enormous. It's so big. It was ridiculous. And, and I don't know if you were aware of this, but for the second season, um, the, the new showrunner came on and said it was just too big. And they made it smaller. I don't oh know man, that's a, that's a come My down. My phone were reduced in size considerably between season one and season two. Um, but but in, those, those interior sets on the sound stages, I mean, you couldn't get lost in them, but you know, the thing is when you build those sets, particularly in the wake of the West Wing and all that kind of thing, you sort of have to be prepared for an episode director to come in and look at a scene which is set in another room mm. and say, you know what, why don't we do this kind of walk and talk and we'll just do it through the corridors. We've got the steady cam guy here. Let's just do it on a steady cam. Why don't you walk and talk? So you have to have the wherewithal for two characters to wander through the lo you know, the location, in my case, the palace, you know, for a page and a half of dialogue, if necessary. Yeah. And so there's a certain amount of kind of, you know, corridors being extended. I think the same was in, in the temple in various sense. Mm. Is that right, guys? Yeah. Those yeah. were pretty, those were maybe even more extensive than the palace sets. Of just rooms, yeah, Warren, Warren, yeah. Um, and and then on the back lot, and the, the only part that survived the fire was the front of the palace, mm. the, uh, the kind of courtyard at the front, and the steps leading up to the main door of the palace. So, so a certain number of scenes were moved to exterior <laughs> exterior palace because we could shoot exterior palace because it still existed. Mm. Um, I mean, the, Tom and I have a sword fight there, and I'm not sure originally that sword fight was set there. 
but someone went, yeah, let's get Tom Cullen to walk backwards down some steps while sword fighting. He'll be game for that. <laughs> and thankfully, being a mad Welshman, he just said, yeah, all right. Um, so, and again, that, you know, that courtyard was huge. We filled it with 500 soldiers one day and 500 Parisians another day. Um, you know, uh, Jim Carter coming in on his big popish coach, surrounded <laughs> by scary dudes. So, um, yeah, yeah, likewise, the sets were extraordinary and, and just extensive. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Ed, you in the wig, that's hilarious, but uh, funniest moment. But it was the funniest moment. <laughs> <laughs> How forceful were you with the I'm not wearing the wig? Did you go full diva? Yeah, I went full Faye Dunaway. <laughs> <laughs> I am not wearing that wig. Yeah. The world owes me a favour. With the greatest respect to Daniel, the makeup designer, the world owes me a favour. <laughs> Go on, Tom. We had, we had a really good time. Every day was, was just stupid. We spent a lot of time trying to make each other laugh during takes. It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, some, some of the funniest fun. moments that I remember were when Simon would accidentally injure stuntmen and extras during fights. <laughs> Just Simon, for fun? How many, how many people did you injure was, over the two series? It was series? especially funny for them. <laughs> Simon's farting horse was also... Simon's farting horse. Oh, oh my, my God. It sounds so silly now, but when you're dressed in this way, in this world of men and armour and torchlight, and action and you ride up a hill to a very solemn moment and your horse farts loud, loudly all the way and there's a big steady cam on a crane zooming in on your faces your profiles and of course you keep going because you don't stop because they can use it they can change the sound but it's and then you, of course you crack up at the end mm. you just crack up because a horse farting is funny it is. <laughs> it's funny. First series is all after the Grail, and the second series is like the persecution and them coming after the Knights Templar. Which was your favourite out of the two? 
for me. So I, season I really yep. season two. It was really fun. Season two. Yeah, it was. Uh, for, yeah. It was like it was really grimy and dirty, and like it was. It was. Uh, it was really meaty, and uh, we had we had a we had a we had a good, really good laugh on that, and it was uh, yeah. Season two, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, Ed. Yeah, and, uh, I mean. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I know that you guys, it was it must have been so nice for you guys to have those four or five young guys, young, younger actors. Um, Fresh meat. Well, well, just to, you know, just to kind of create that world and that new camaraderie. I mean, obviously, I had to continue hanging out with bloody Julian Ovenden. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and, and actually, the tables were turned in season two because... As I remember, Julian was the one sporting a wig. And yes. I was the one with the slightly dodgy facial hair. So it was all topsy-turvy in the palace for season two. Um, <laughs> I still never discovered what Denogre kept in his purse. Julian had this mysterious pouch on his utility belt. His utility belt. It's Batman. I'm Bell. Deathbed, that Julian Ovenden will share the, the contents of his pouch. But see, yeah, season two was. I don't know, yeah, season, the trouble, you know, it's it's always a bit tricky. You know, the first episode of a show, or even to some extent, the first series of a show, you just got to do a lot of exposition, a lot of setting up stuff, and a lot of people walking into the room and going, "Hello, brother," and you go, "Oh, they're brothers." Okay, that's useful. You know. <laughs> and you know in season two you don't have that baggage um but yeah it's true yeah i don't know the storylines just it felt a bit leaner to me the second season leaner and leaner and dirtier and darker mm. yeah looking at, at some of the storylines um tom did you ever just think why is it always me yeah in season in season one i was just like jesus like I, the amount of times Landry says, I don't understand. I was like, is he the stupidest man? Thank <laughs> <laughs> he might be. But in in season two, I was I was really was like, why every episode am I getting the shit kicked out of me? I was like, the amount of times I have my face in mud or in some guy's knee or being punched or like, it was just ridiculous. I was it was horrendous. Two words, um, beard envy. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what it is, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I still, I can't stop staring at it. Dude, it just like, there's not a beard hair out of place. Um, it, it looks pretty good right now. So, yeah, I haven't trimmed it for ages. But, you know, my, my beard is mainly just like pubic hair. It's not really. This is making Ed feel slightly better. We love your beard too, Ed. Oh no, I'm, I love Tom. I prefer Tom's beard. I've just got a question for Tom. You know, uh, in season two, when you guys are climbing the wall, how much of that was actually you, Stan? Do you, do you know which one I'm talking about? Where you're all the yeah, young guys. Yeah, and then you're like at the bottom, and you're like, yeah. How much of that is actual stunts, and how much of that is actually you standing at the bottom with like six bare geezers on you? So that, so that day, so. The, the, the sets are up on up on this hill, right? Like I, I look, the looks over Prague, and it's the wind is insane. So if it's cold, the wind rips through this one set because it's this big long corridor, 
and it gets incredibly cold. But the night before I'd gone out to my local restaurant around the corner from my flat and I decided, you know, I really fancy some beef carpaccio. I've had it before, it's very delicious. And then at about midnight, I woke up uh, in bed and with the fear that I was about to shit myself. Um, <laughs> luckily, luckily, the toilet is just there. <laughs> and I didn't leave my bathroom for like eight, nine hours, uh, just puking nonstop. Um, and I, I remember because call, our calls are at six, six, seven a.m. I called up. I was like, "Guys, I haven't slept. This is not good. I, I've, I, I'm, it's, it's a disaster." So they sent someone over and stuck me on a drip. And they were like, "Okay, you can't film today." And that's the only day I, 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 like, I broke my toes and I didn't have any mm. time off. So uh, you, it's such a machine. You know, you've just got to keep on. Yeah, it, it, it is an intense schedule. I mean, I'm, I'm not complaining, you know, mm. like every day is so fun. I really, like it's a, a dream and, I, and I'm, I miss it every day that you're not, you're not doing it. So I really love, and I loved working. The crews are amazing. It's, it's not, it, but it is full on. But, but they were like, okay, you can't film today. So, uh, and it was the day that I was supposed to do the scene where you're, where we were climbing up this, uh, this, this wall. The next day, they're like, you, you have to come in. I was like, okay, well, I'm still so sick. And I had salmonella poisoning. No, uh, what is it? Let's do that. I had one, not salmonella. But um, I was really ill. And we came to filming, and they were like, okay, we're going to do a rain machine on this one. And they, uh, they bring in um, fire engines, and the rain is barking cold. And this wind through this, through this like, off the, on the top of this Prague mountain, it, fucking cold so I'm there I'm ill and shaking and the stunt dudes had done quite a lot of the lot of it and it was a sheer wall face and they were like okay but this time we are going to have to use you Tom and um, they the guys were kind of on harnesses but uh, they wanted to make it look real so there's a moment where I'm carrying three guys on my shoulders um, having like not eaten for 48 hours or whatever. Um, in and the trying freezer. not to shit yourself. <laughs> trying not to shit yourself. <laughs> and, uh, that day was particularly tough. And at the end of the day, they were like, okay, right. So Tom, obviously you don't have a harness. So we need you to climb the, the, the entire wall on the rope. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> hands that it's shaking and I remember holding onto this rope and I got about a metre off the ground <laughs> and fell down and the German there's this German director what was her name I can't remember her name what was her name oh my god Samira 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 she was like yeah. she's German and really like uh, direct she was like what was that I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you need to go all the way up to the top. I was like, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. And I got about half a meter up and Clash is like, what are you doing? You're supposed to go all the way up the top. And I was like, do you know what? I, I, I'm not, I, was that your Faye Dunaway moment? That was my, that was my, that was my real diva moment. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I'm not doing all it. of that. All of that pain through that whole scene is actual real pain, literally. Real pain. Yeah, it was, it, that was absolutely horrendous. That was. 
<laughs> Did she ever forgive you? Um, what of me refusing to do it? Yeah. She was pretty, pretty annoyed, yeah. <laughs> Simon, what was your Faye Dunaway moment on set? Oh, my God. I was, I was so locked into that story, I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, what was my Faye Dunaway moment on it, set? I'd well, say the farting I, horse, but you would have laughed too hard for it to be like a proper Yeah, I, was laughing, I suppose early on, because, you know, we, we, the Templars had to have beards and we were growing the beards, but because we'd started the job at a certain point where mine was still growing out, there was, it was posited that I would wear a false beard. So the idea that you would wear a false beard for the whole series, running up hills, sweating, flapping beards, coming off, I just said, no, 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 I'm not wearing a false beard. They're a nightmare. Let me grow my beard out and you lay in hair as it grows until my own beard is long enough and then I'll go on with my own beard. But because they were laying in hair and it's a real art, Mm. So you've got stubble and they're laying in actual hair on your face, but they laid in hair on my chin that made me look like a kind of Gorgon, a Bruce Forsyth kind <laughs> of thing. And I'd see myself on the monitor and it would be like, and I said, guys, guys, you've got to take the chin down because uh, I look like Mr. Punch. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of debate and the other actors, some of the other actors were going, mate, I don't know what you mean. And then they'd look on the monitor afterwards and go, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. You've got a fourth. Tom? Simon's very little faith. Like this, you have to do a lot to really push Simon. For example, in season one, there's a scene where he carries the cross and we all beat him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, so it, it's December and it's like minus 10. And we turn up in the morning and there's snow and ice on the floor and Simon's like I'm going to do this barefoot I'm going to do this barefoot and I'm going to do it shirtless and I actually want you to hit me and by the end of the by the end of the the, the, the scene like they had to like we actually didn't complete that scene because Simon was carrying this cross and he had a lump I, I'm not joking I've got a picture of it it looked like someone had given him the worst the worst uh, plastic surgery you've ever seen. Like, yeah. <laughs> Not like a true like friend, you took a picture. I love it. Oh, God. I, it I mean, was <laughs> like an egg. And, uh... It's absolutely, it was absolutely mad. So Simon would like purposefully um, put himself in some serious trouble. It was absolutely mad. I uh, love that you... scene, that one with the cross and everything. And at that point, I really, I'm sorry to Tom, but I hated Landry at that point. I was like, you're a, you're a bastard. I was like, how can you do that to your friend? I mean, he's your friend. I know. But we had a great <laughs> he's not sorry, can you tell? We, we, we had a great director. It was Metin, wasn't it? Was it Metin? It was Metin on that yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Metin yeah. Hussein. And uh, as I was being expelled from the temple by, by Landry, you realise later why he was doing it to, mm. uh, to save me. But... Um, I was being expelled and I, I'm covered in all these extreme wounds from the torture and the beating. And uh, they've burnt my armor in front of me. They've put it in the smelter to show me that I'm no longer a Templar. And Metin whispered something to Tom 
I didn't know, but I'm covered in these wounds uh, in, as the character. And then Landry comes up to me and grabs me, grabs my face and grabs me as he, as he throws me out. And the effect of that on the take was, was great. It was great to, to not be expecting that to not be mm. expecting that uh, on that episode. But, uh, you know, the, the physical hardships are, are so small compared to, you know, what, what would have been the reality. And it, it, and it kind of, I think it kind of helped us all to lock into sometimes, you know, going through, like when we were filming the last episodes of being uh, burned at the stakes. I mean, those scenes went on for two weeks, I think, night shoots off and on, and it was freezing. Mm. <laughs> fire was real. I think oh, Tom, really? got his beard. Tom got his beard seriously singed at one point, I think. Yeah, the heat was incredible. Yeah. And we were standing on real fires with gas jets I, underneath. There was one point where I was really scared, actually. Yeah. Like, genuinely scared, yeah. it was intense. And then Ed was just watching you. I, I wasn't scared uh, any I was <laughs> on my sort of throny dais stage thing. I was gonna say to you, did you ever feel like oh, I wish I could be one of the boys or did you like the role that you had? No, <laughs> did it look like too much effort? I knew it was too much effort because on season two <laughs> <clears throat> on season two they asked me to join um the boot camp before filming began. And um Burn. So, as uh, being as a, a product of the English public school system, I, I gamely agreed, and um, it was horrible. Oh. Simply put, it was just it was horrible. Who were trying to outdo each other, mm. and if it had just been, I mean, Porig is built like a brick shit house. Simon's in remarkable shape for a man of sixty-three. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's just an Adonis. So it would have been bad enough on season one, but on season two, I mean, all of those boys, um, Joe and Dan, all the guys who joined the new young initiates, they were all ripped. Apart from that one, who was, who was that one nice guy, the American guy who lived in Prague? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. 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 Who threw what up. That was, my, that was my best moment on season two was when one of the initiates, one of the youngsters, threw up one day after boot camp. That's and, right. And I hadn't thrown up. That was my proudest moment. Victory. <laughs> um, but the boot camp was horrible. So I was delighted to not be trying to clamber up human pyramids in the rain and being shouted at by Mark Hamill and having to like trying to leap on horses as Tom did. He's been very bashful. He actually leapt on a moving horse. Um, a horse, yeah, that's, that's the best thing I've ever done in my life. That actually <laughs> jumped onto a running horse. Yeah. Did they give you a choice or were you just like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it? Well, so um, about two weeks before, the stunt guy was like, is this awesome dude for Cedric? Perhaps he's the stunt coordinator. Um, and he was like, Okay, so there's a scene where we want you to, there's a galloping horse, we want you to run alongside it, grab onto the saddle, jump up, kick a guy off, land in the saddle, and then carry on galloping. <laughs> then? You want to what? No. <laughs> That's not going to happen, man. He's like, no, 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 you can do it. And he said, Heath Ledger did it. 
on the world. <laughs> I was going to bring up the Heath Ledger Knight's Tale well, thing. Well, but, yeah. gonna, well, I'm going to do it then. And then, so I, I actually learned to do it in like an hour and a half, two hours. So weirdly quick. It's actually surprisingly um, easy. It's just a bit scary. And, and then I turned up on the day of the set, on the day of shooting, just like absolutely pumped to do it, really excited. And the director was like, no, man. No, Rick, Rick he was like, no, dude, there's no way you're doing that, man. No way. If you break your book, we're fucked, dude. No way. You're not doing it. Dude, I have, I, I, this is, no, this is like. This, this is, is my, my moment, moment, damn it. This is something I want to show my children. No, I'm doing it. He's like, no, dude. And I was like, okay, okay. And I think I actually just snuck off my sense of surgery. I was like, man, just let me do it. And he did. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I naughtily did it. Brilliant. Yeah, like okay, no, if 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 you know insurance doesn't pay out, then <laughs> you and Heath Ledger, Orlando Bloom didn't do it in Lord of the Rings. It was CGI, wasn't it? But didn't he like slide down a? I stay. I haven't seen it for years. Didn't, well, yeah, didn't he did like, slide down the back of a massive fake elephant. But again, CGI, man. He, Woody, go ahead. So but it's still not super cool. The band, uh, the the boot camp, because yeah. <laughs> Um, who organised it and how long was it? Because on our Band of Brothers shows, the interesting thing, that was 20 years ago now. Some of them remember it a lot longer than it really was. Oh, it was like six months, man. We were there for six months. <laughs> it was 10 days. So what? What? how long was your poison? And is it already becoming a legend amongst you? Are you talking about it worse than it really was? Or was it bad? No, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad, really. It was just a couple of... It was two, two weeks, wasn't it? I think the, I, the new week, I think I did a... Season one or season two? Yeah, it was a few weeks. It wasn't, wasn't yeah, too long. Well, apparently Band of Brothers, it was so bad that after that, agents started writing into contracts for guys going on to TV programmes with boot camps and things to basically so that they could get them out of it. Were you aware of that or did you just get sucked no, in? We, we wanted it. We yeah. wanted it. We loved it. Tom? Especially when you've got new guys joining. Like the first season, it really bonded us all because we didn't know each other and it was like two weeks of sweat and like I'm one of the one of the dudes in the first season Bobby Schofield who played Parsifal at one point like you know it, it was pretty brutal at one point he was coughing up blood it's pretty rough going at times depending on how hard you want to take it but we all really bonded you know and, I, and it was it was it was really good for filming and we were all really close because of it and so the second season when there were new guys coming in you want to uh, integrate them and and put them through as much hell and make them sick um, uh, too. So uh, and and so so it's a really fun thing to do. Uh, we loved it. And you know, like it's it, it's it's intense. You do like a big workout in the morning, then you'll do a bit of boxing, but then in the afternoon you might go riding through forests on horses for two hours. I mean, like that's not mm. hard work. That's yeah, absolutely. It's, that's a privilege, you know. Just... Ed. I mean, speaking just for me, maybe almost the most helpful thing about the boot camp, even though we, we knew a lot of the stunt guys from season one, quite a few of the season one stunt guys came on season two, but there were also some new faces. But because I hadn't done any, I mean, the only fighting I did in season one was with Tom, either the sparring or then the fight at the end. And you, I mean, this is going to sound wanky, but it does actually help if you, know the people you're fighting with and you trust them and you know because when push comes to shove you know 
when there's a whole bunch of extras and a whole bunch of stuntmen standing around, you know, and they've, you're going to be in the middle of this big melee and you know that actually we'd love three days to shoot this. We've only got one and all the rest of it. It just kind of helps a bit with sort of confidence as much as anything that you know that those three guys that you're about to do this little sequence with, you know them all by name, you've known them all for the last few weeks and months, and you've rehearsed again and again and again with them, and you sort of trust them. And that began with the boot camp. That was probably more so for me than these guys, because they'd had it from the first season. But for me, that was just really good to hang out and bond with the stunt team as much as with the rest of the cast. I, did, I mean, to be honest, I didn't want to bond with the cast. You couldn't help it. <laughs> I'm sick of the cast, but the stunt guys were so right. <laughs> Um, I have to ask you, because people are going to be like, oh, they haven't pointed out anything that's wrong with like the historical accuracy and that. Um, and I, I, there's a reason, because I think programmes like this aren't made to be documentaries. I think it's brave of the History Channel to make a drama and give way on that. But it's one of these programmes that it doesn't matter, because what it's doing for people like Eleanor is making her less sad. It's making other people interesting uh, interested in medieval history and the Crusades and the Knights Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the more people that get brought into these things, like, you know, people used to ask me all the time, like when Game of Thrones is on, like, oh, do you hate this? Do you hate people asking you questions? And is that like, and I'm like, no, I love it when people want to talk to me about medieval history. Please make more people interested in medieval history. Like show some hot guys on horses and then come talk to your girl. That's all I'm looking for. Thank you. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a gig. Tom? Uh, it, it, it's, you, have to, you have to kind of like balance, you know, you're constantly walk, walking this tightrope. And I think with Nightfall, season one especially, season two is a lot more historically accurate, you would say. But in season one, if you talk about the grail in the first three minutes or minute of the show, you, you, you've got to know that a lot of it's going to be mm. fiction because the Holy yeah. Grail does not exist. So you you, you kind of go, now? whoa, 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 what? whoa. Wait, what? <laughs> well, yeah. Are you calling Indiana Jones a liar? <laughs> hang on. <laughs> but it, hang on, but I saw it save Sean Connery. <laughs> I've got it in my flat in Bucharest. So, uh, you know, we all... I played golf with Sean Connery four or five years after the third Indiana Jones. So explain that to me, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Grail does it Sorry, Tom. Finish your thought. Uh, we'll shut up so you can finish it. So, so you know, when, when you do get, when you do come under fire for being historically inaccurate, you're going to go, well, the, the show is not pretending to be, uh, like you said, a, a documentary. And what we'll do is we'll use big kind of like markers of, of historical mm. moments and then kind of fill in the blanks. And that's actually fun. You know, it's fun yeah. to interpret the history which essentially is what history is anyway, I think, is, is it's about an interpretation of certain things that have happened. Yeah. You know, history actually isn't linear. It's expansive. It's, uh, and with a show like this, it, it has to entertain. You know, you have to have your five acts. You need to finish each one before the advert break and hook people in, and, and, and you can have fun with that. I think season two... Um, it was was a lot more kind of baked into um, history because we decided that 
we wanted to leave the grail stuff behind and mm. kind of place it a lot more into the downfall of, of the history. Of, of I downfall. think it worked though. Yeah. I, 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 I we, we weren't sorry to see the back of the grail to be mm. honest no, no, we weren't, no. <laughs> i liked about season two you went down the road of um the the baby murdering basically which is grim stuff i mean like this was a good fun show to watch and that bit they went down that road um of people pinning stuff on the templars like as a for pr reasons basically to make them look bad that was grim um what was this kind of besmirching real eleanor um, yeah, so like baby murdering and child murdering, it's like um, a common thing that you pin on groups of people that you want an opportunity to kill. So um, it's really common, for example, uh, with the Jewish people. So basically any time um, like a kid, a, a Christian kid would turn up dead uh, somewhere in Europe, everyone would go, oh, Jewish people have done this. And they would use it as an excuse to pogrom basically everyone. Um, and that it's there's like this common trope for with Jewish people or with heretics or, you know, like with the big cat and the kissing of the ass and everything. It's like um, they like to say that these people are doing kind of like dark versions of inverted masses. So what they always talk about is like killing babies and then they say, okay, and then they all eat the baby as like a form of Eucharist because since the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, they're eating like actual flesh. So it's this kind of perverted um, thing. And interestingly, that is something that it's a charge that got thrown around at Christians all the time in the late antique period. So like when Christians kind of like first come out and it's like, you know, then like pagans were always like, I hear these fools are like eating people like and that's what they do and so and they're all like those people eat babies and so there was like this big um you know rumor about christians eating babies mm. and later on christians recycle that trope in order to like kill the people that they want to kill um so yeah like that is that's definitely one of the things that gets thrown around against um like heretics writ large but yeah um certainly like with templars and things like that yeah yeah, I mean, even with the rah-rah first series with the Grail, and because you know, as soon as you mention Grail, you'll know you're going to get, like, swashbuckling adventure and stuff. But there was the touching on the first episode. I was like, oh, they're touching on some anti-Semitism here. That's, like, a bit more, like, leveled down to go with the sort of the rah-rah stuff. Um, that anti-Semitism's not fake at all, is it? No, that... No. that, that and, they were, that, and they were escorted out of... That, that's actually historically mm. yeah so I think there was a balance there between I think as soon as you start touching something like a super secret organisation and, and the Knights Templars and stuff where you've got gaps you are getting into like adventure stories and more fiction but I, I think the balance is there bringing in some, some harder stuff and paying attention to some more historically accurate stuff there is because I uh, well just so everyone knows, I know nothing about the medieval period. I, this is not my time period. But um, through that, the whole series, I was like picking up on little things. I was like, oh, well, that's really interesting. I'm going to check this out and check out if, it, if the fact is there. And the one thing that I really loved was season two, the whole conflict between Margaret of Burgundy and Isabella. And it actually happened where Isabella was involved uh, with the downfall of Margaret of Burgundy. And I was just like, that's actually really interesting that they've obviously made you know, the dramatic stuff around it, quite fictional. But the, the idea was actually there. And it was just awesome watching it all kind of unfold. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I think it did a good job. Um, and for the History Channel to have done it, like I said, I think it was brave because I think they would have been more beholden to people whining that things weren't historically accurate than another network doing it. Um, I think it was pretty cool the way they managed to hook in new people into, which I assume is what it was for, to broaden their horizons and bring new people into watching History Channel. And I think it worked. <laughs> Yeah, Simon. Yeah, it was exciting for us to think about where it was going as well. That was that was one of the sad things because uh, obviously after the trials and the downfall of these guys, a lot of them did escape. Mm. You know, a lot of them escaped to other orders or to abroad. You know, they, they fled abroad. Um, so we were all getting kind of excited about that, about those potential storylines. But uh, yeah. it was not to be. It's only it this month, isn't it? They've decided. Can someone else pick it up? Is that likely to happen? Tom. Tom. Well, I also think that the story ended in a really great place as well. You know, Tom? You know, and mm. I, I think we, we finished the second season kind of feeling that it, we probably wouldn't do a third and that it felt right to finish in the way that it finished. It felt like a kind of conclusion. As much as, you know, we would love to have carried on telling the stories because we had a lot of fun and it was a really great group of Guys, you know, there just wasn't a bad egg at all. Um, we really enjoyed it, but um, it was a lot of fun, basically. That's, yeah. that's what you meant. If you could yeah. cast yourself anywhere else in history and do a historical drama, where would you do it? Shall yeah. I tell you something very cool? Go on. Well, it's quite cool. I thought it was cool. My one of my thirteen-year-old daughters told me this. Um, Cleopatra was born closer in time to the iPhone. Oh, there's Ella. Yes, all right. Well, Eleanor, you're the professional, all right? I love this story, though. <laughs> I love saying this. I'm just excited that someone's right? saying okay. it. Tell okay. it, tell okay. it, tell it. Let me have my moment in the historical sun, all right? <laughs> um, Cleopatra was born closer to the invention of the iPhone than she was to the building of the Great Pyramid at Giza. Yeah. Oh, you're crazy. Right. You do that? Okay. That's, that's mind-blowing. Am I the only one who didn't know that? It, no, it's, uh, it's like, um, uh, you know, I didn't know that for years and years and years. And it's because, like, ancient history is, like, most of it? Like, ancient history is, mm. like, four, like, 476 AD and everything that came before it. That's, like, so it's vast, you know? And then at the same time, like, what we have for, like, medieval history is, like, 1,100 years, about 476 to, uh, you know, 1,500-something. And then it's, like, 1,500-something to now is modern history. So it's, like, the great majority of time on Earth with humans is all ancient history. And what that means, you know, is absolutely vast. And we've got, like, no conception of it, you know? It's crazy. It's absolutely So vast. what you're saying is we need more sword and sandal epics. I like Sword and Sandal Epic. I don't even care how. You know what I want? I want like uh like give me something like Babylonian. Like set something in Ur. That's what I want to see. I want to see some people making some cuneiform little clay. Yeah, but they'll whitewash it. Everybody in it will be pasty yeah, and true. true. <laughs> we had this conversation with Emma Southern about those Syrian matriarchs in Rome and how cool it would be. And they were like, Yeah, but then they'd cast Scarlett Johansson and it'd be rubbish. It's yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> maybe uh, not anymore. Maybe that would change now. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. 
I think the last straw Hollywood got away with was uh, wasn't she did a Japanese film, didn't she? Like, that's the reason she I used her. The manga movie, yeah. Yeah, 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 and people went nuts because they were like, uh, there are Japanese people that can act. Yeah, I mean, there was also that, wasn't there an embarrassing moment in the, um, was it the Doctor Strange movie where, um, what's her face, played the kind of Zen monk. Oh, yeah, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton played yeah. this Oh, yeah. Who's actually Tibetan or something in the original? Uh, <laughs> if, I made that, if I made that up, I'm apologizing. No, 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 no. you're correct. You're exactly correct. I'm just frustrated. It's because I mean, not that um, you know, Tilda Swinton isn't a great actress, but I think she's doing okay. Yeah, that's all. That's all. I think she would have been all right if they'd like let a Tibetan have a role once. But you know, it's all okay. This is true. I always put up the girl from the. Uh, the Russians that played the Afghan girl that played the Russian spy. She's brown. She can act. She's pretty. Put her in stuff. Brown mm-hmm. people act too. I can say this. I'm, I'm not saying I can act, but I'm brown. <laughs> brown people are capable of reading and writing and acting and all the same big, same things. So yeah, it would be cool to some, see some more diversity, but there's, is there any historic role that you really want? Go on, Tom. Do you know that I'm, I'm Welsh and there's like a serious underrepresentation of Welsh history. So mm-hmm. I play like William Wallace of Wales, who's this dude called Owen Glyndor. I play him. I, do like I was going to say again in English. Yeah, Alina is terrified of the Welsh. She Thanks. actually Telling breaks out one. in Thanks. hives um, because <laughs> she once knew someone with a horrible Welsh accent. So she like literally try and make her speak Welsh or to give her a like Yoan Griffith. She shattered herself for three days before we went and record that because she thought she might have to say his name. It was hilarious. <laughs> she Simon. had beat Carpaccio as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Simon, what about you? Night before meeting Yoan. Do you know what? I just, I'm going to see that on a menu when this is all over and just be too terrified for the rest of my life after that story. <laughs> Simon, what about you? Any historical person you could play? Any historical person? My God. I've, I've done it a couple of times and I love it because it, it, I, one of my joys is like reading around a, a period or a subject I don't know much about. So, you know, I've been in the Roman world and now I've been in the Templar world. I kind of, I do love uh, going back to a real period in history. I do love it. So, I mean, maybe going back even further, like mm. Eleanor was saying, you know, uh, you know, before, uh, maybe before Rome was a, a, a massive, powerful empire in the beginnings. <laughs> what did you say, Tom? I said you'd make a great Neanderthal dude. <laughs> <laughs> No, did they try that with that 10,000 BC? And I was like, oh, this is good. We could watch this. And I was like, no, it's just shit. It's just uh, entertaining. 10,000 BC. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. yeah. a film recently that is about um, a science experiment where they mix human blood with Neanderthal blood, I guess, DNA. And then this woman gives birth to this Neanderthal and then they try to integrate him into modern... Uh, American culture and society, and it's a kind of like coming of age story. <laughs> <laughs> starring but, but Tom to, Hardy. I'm just to saying, be clear, we already I... had we already had Encino Man, which is a very important. You know, um, that, that I'm just going to be the only American here, huh? Yeah. Encino Man, <laughs> Polly Shore, nobody, no. What no. a Frazier's breakout role, no. where he played a caveman that they unthawed. 
Uh, uh, true, true, true uh, quality um, out here. I'm, I'm just talking about uh, a little thing called culture, everybody. <laughs> That's all. This is like one of his very first ones. Oh, I yeah, think yeah. You're right, okay. yeah. Before the mummy. Pre mummy. Pre mummy. I like the mummy. I love, I love the it. Mummy. Too. I love the mummy. Love it. I was in the mummy. You're oh, in yeah. it? Yeah, I thought, I thought that was Ahmed Jalili. I've got, I've got my sword. Hang on. <laughs> have you, have you not, have you not seen the photos of him? No. Ed, what about you? Any historical character? Twentieth century car, one twentieth century. Always been, well, I mean, I've, I've always been a huge fan of Bodicea. Oh, I love Bodicea. Hey. Oh my God, look at that! Yes. He's got little scarabs on the, uh, on the end. Little scarab beetles. See. Even oh. extra. Fantastic. Yeah. I love Wait, it. Just a little quick sidebar. Paul, who was an extra, I'm sure a very good extra, but Paul, who was an extra on the money, on the mummy, he got to keep his sword. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks no, it, like it's made it's of plastic. plastic. Who played the lead balls? Never seen their swords ever again. Oh, uh, there you go. He hid it down it his trousers. Down the trousers. I just, I went off. It was. I easy. like how you're showing uh, us how you did it. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't work well with chainmail. It does. It does make it even more unjust that Tom yeah. and Simon didn't get to keep their swords. Yeah. Sorry, Ed. You were saying Boudicca. Go for it. Would does she exist? Ask Alex. Don't. I made an argument for her as the greatest warlord of the ancient world. And they shout on failed. my parade. Well, you failed oh, sorry, as well. What? You, you said Sun Tzu and your argument was terrible. I love Boudicca. <laughs> I'm like extremely, uh, Boudicca did nothing wrong. Hashtag Team Boudicca, Boudicca all the way. Yeah. I will say several other things about yeah. how great Boudicca is, if necessary. Exactly. So you'd play Boudicca, Ed. I think I'd look good in a chariot. So maybe, <laughs> maybe Boudicca, I guess. <laughs> Um, either Boudicca or Nell Gwynn. Eleanor, before we go, I saw this question pop up on other things. I really want to know the answer to it. I'm just pissed off. It's horrible. <laughs> so are the Knights Templar the first multinational corporation? Oh, my gosh. This is like something that I would set my first year students. Uh, People fight over <laughs> this, ask. don't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, they do. Because it's like, well, what do we mean by corporation? What do we mean by a multinational? I mean, So if what... you were screwing with your students, you'd ask them this. Yeah, exactly. So it's like because what I need them to do then is define what they mean by corporation mm. and everything else. I mean, what they definitely are. And it, we use that particular question in conjunction with a like, oh, are, um, is the Ultramir, are they the first colonies? That's like the other question that you yeah. ask. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer is that it's something akin to that, but kind of different because it certainly is a massive conglomeration of like business interests. And it certainly has, um, you know, representatives in a number of kingdoms throughout the world. And it's mm-hmm. definitely like linked uh, because of business interests and things. But I would say that it doesn't count as a corporation because I mean, Although it is a business interest and although, you know, one of the reasons that like what brings about its downfall is the fact that they've got all this money and people want to get their hands on it. It's still a religious organization. 
And it's really easy for us now. We say, oh, well, you know, if they were not necessarily living 100% by the book or um, if they are really interested in money, it's really easy for us to say, oh, oh well, we, you can ignore all the religious things. But you can't really do that uh, to medieval people because they really believe this stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, even if they are doing dodgy things, that doesn't make them any less believers. So it's much more kind of like you know, a religious Ponzi scheme if anything else. Yeah. You know, I, like if there's a way for us to shoehorn religion into there, then I'd be fine with it. But until we can do that, I'm not comfortable with going corporation. Okay. And for the, the record, any of Eleanor's first year students that are listening to this and try and paraphrase that and steal it, she will know. Uh, yeah, um, I'm on to you. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about your time on Nightfall. We're absolutely devastated there's not going to be any more. It sounds like you had a blast making it as well. We did. It was Thank a you, Alex. Thank you, Alina. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Eleanor. Lovely to Thank chat you, with you guys. Everybody. Brilliant. Thanks Thank very much, guys. guys. Thank you so much. Join us tomorrow. Uh, we'll be going back to World War II. We're going to be talking to James Scott again, filling in some of the gaps on what we're hoping is going to build up to be a really good and comprehensive profile for the Pacific War. Tomorrow, uh, he depressed us all with Manila a few weeks ago, but he's going to talk to us about the Doolittle Raid, so the American response to Pearl Harbor tomorrow is such a good story. And as ever, he tells it brilliantly. Don't forget to get involved with our Greatest Britain poll. Basically, we decided we broadly hated the list that came out in 2002. And I'm always complaining about it, especially about Oliver Cromwell. So we've reignited the debate. Uh, You can find polls all over our timeline on Twitter that are open for you to vote as many times as you like in all the categories. Uh, You can also, if you don't see a name on the categories that you want, then all you have to do is tweet out using the hashtag your favourite and why and basically campaign for them because every like you get on said tweet will count as a vote as well so we've already had like we left Michael Faraday off and someone's come forward and garnered him masses of votes so now he's in the running as well so so far we've done science uh, we've done literature and we've done some explorers as well so have a go it's good fun and something to get involved in and then we'll be doing a special down the pub debate on the greatest Britain in a couple of weeks. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 